Hello, and welcome to the Ten Commandments, an eight-week conversation about some of the most famous words from Scripture. Over the course of this series, we will be talking about what the Ten Commandments meant in their time and how they relate to us today. Tasha and I will be doing this in conversation with Ken Peavy House, a member here at First Presbyterian Church and a regular attender of Sunday School for many, many years. So stick around and join us. Hello, it's Ken, and we're back with the Ten Commandments. Here we are, Ken. We're on number eight. And as you can hear in our voices, you've got Pastor Tasha Blackburn with you again this week. And as he started us off, Ken Peavy House. Well, Ken, we got through uh, murder and adultery uh, last week. Whew! So good to be done with those for the rest of our lives, I'm sure. Uh, never comes into play in any relationships. <laughs> but today we're on the eighth of the Ten Commandments, and it's you shall not steal. Yeah. You know, it's it's another one of those short verses or mm-hmm. short things that somehow we've added to and <laughs> created additional precedents for. And, yes, yes. Uh, it's not as simple or we've made it not as simple as what it's written. Yes, and, yeah. and specifically the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy have added too. That chair has been about to break for years. Well, I'm glad I was able to finish <laughs> the process. Ken's breaking furniture, everybody. I promise you it has a look at the wicker at the back. See, everybody's going to get to enjoy our shimmy here. Yeah. All right, see, he instead of stealing that chair... You just broke it. broke it. I know. You just broke it. Okay. Yeah. Well, good for you, though, Ken, because this is one of the first times we've had a commandment where the punishment is not death. So congratulations. Even if you do walk out with that chair right now, <laughs> uh, the punishment would not be death, um, except, as we talked about in Sunday school, the case that they do talk about in the codes in Deuteronomy is if you steal a person, then yes, the consequence is death. It, it feels a little strange to talk about stealing people. Well, that's called kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do think we have a term for that, yeah. kidnapping. If you kidnap um, someone, then yet, yeah, then in uh, the code uh, for Israel at the time, then the consequence is death. Yeah, somehow we've lessened that nowadays. I don't think you get death penalty for kidnapping. No, we also don't get it for profaning the Sabbath, though. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, there is, so we've lightened up a little we've bit. We've lightened up a little bit over uh, about 4,000 years. Yeah, probably four to 5,000 years since um, we received the Ten Commandments. But things, things take time. These things do take time. I know. I know. Uh, so we talked about a little bit. Um, I don't know if you want to go into it. The understanding of slavery uh, in Israel at the time versus what we might think about with slavery uh, in our own history. But kind of the main point was almost all slavery within Israel, now this is within the community, uh, was debt slavery. So it was for a period of time. It was quote unquote voluntary. I mean, you were in a tight spot if you were doing it. Uh, But it was not something where you could separate families or like we say, steal people. Um, they could work for a certain number of years, up to six years, uh, to pay off a debt. So it was kind of a different 
understanding of slavery than we might default to. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I mean, the, as you said, they've got into debt. It's voluntary in that they have nothing else to do, and they go to somebody and say, can I work off my debt? Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's no like somebody... Medicare, Medicaid. I'm right. going to start naming things I don't fully understand. Uh, but, you know, there's no basement to but hold But nobody's to. hunting you down either and selling you as a slave. No, no. Uh, it is this sense of th this is a way for you to work off your debt. Um, again, as we've said about so many things, it's not like it's a ton of fun. It's not... Uh, easy, but it was an option. And so people would find themselves in slavery and then out of slavery and then maybe back in. It was a movable thing, too. Um, now, outside the community, as we talked about, though, just to kind of not have it sound so cheery, um, <laughs> I mean, there were uh, ways in which if you were uh, an outsider, if you were not an Israelite, um, then, yeah, because of war or because of you just felt like it uh, there were ways that slaves would be considered property but it wasn't supposed to be within the community so which is interesting because then with Christianity it the real question I mean Jesus asked it all the time who is my neighbor who mm -hmm. is your neighbor who is your neighbor who's in the community right. and it really expands uh, who's in the community and so then who do you get to treat like that uh, not as many people as you think. <laughs> so anyway, so that's kind of that a little rabbit trail around stealing people um, and what was not allowed at the time. Um, but stealing in and of itself, it seems like it mostly had to do with you were not allowed to steal from someone their way to make an income. So no, uh, you're not allowed to take uh, somebody's ability to work and a lot of times in the Old Testament that meant donkeys <laughs> and oxen and other farm animals that we might not think about as needing for work but absolutely was required so it sounds like there's a loophole there where you can take something as long as it didn't affect their work yeah I don't know if can you take their airpods <laughs> <laughs> you know small movable easy to easy to lift yeah. or like my daughter did can you take some gum uh, because it's right at your eye level and you're four. Um, yeah. I'm sure this was a long, long time ago. At Walgreens, yes. Yeah, and yeah. she had to return the gum. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because we teach our children not to steal. Right. And I have a feeling they didn't really like you taking anything. But the <laughs> things that would go to court or the things that would be just like now, right? I mean, we're not... It turns out, even though her father threatened her, Walgreens did not take the four-year-old to court you know, for taking the pack of gum. She returned it. She said she was sorry, and we went along. But so sort of like we have now, what do you take to court that got stolen? And it's mm -hmm. probably what affected you economically. Yeah, if you stole a carpenter's hammer, that would be something that affected his livelihood. Yeah, if you take his tools. Yeah, but I don't know. If you took something else, a, a piece of food, that that might not necessarily be stealing. Or not be worthy of legislation. <laughs> or, you know, not be worthy of anything more than a personal dispute. But what, what, we were, what we were given on the stone tablets was just do not steal. Yeah, you're not I supposed mean, it's, to. I mean, it's pretty... Exactly. Defined. Yeah, you're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah. But then we've... 
interpreted it in yeah. over the centuries to define to mean different things. Yeah. Well, and don't you think that's probably part of our fallenness? I mean, it we can't document every time that you know someone put in the staff fridge Ken's lunch don't touch and then by lunchtime it's gone you know I mean that's a problem for Ken and whoever keeps stealing his lunch um, but uh, the community doesn't get too involved um, over Ken and his lunch Although, well, if Ken gets upset and goes to the management and management puts up cameras and somebody gets caught, then they get fired. That's right. So, so there is a way. Yes. There is a way. There is a way. Exactly. Well, we talked about how, um, and Ken, I, I got a sense that you really did not like this part at all. So let's talk about it. There was this sense, and as you say, the original Ten Commandments, they're even sometimes called just the Ten Words, uh, because especially these last ones, in Hebrew, they actually are one word because they can slap their pronouns and verbs and nouns all together. They, it's like German. They can make one long compound word that can be a whole sentence. Anyway, it's a whole word. Um, but then over time, as you say, especially in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they're trying to figure it out. What's it not mean not to steal? What's it mean not to lie for next week? What's it mean not uh, to commit murder? How do you live that out in your daily life? And the way they started to branch it was in two branches. There was the negative sense, as in do not do this. Do not take your neighbor's ox. Do not take his hammer um, that's the tool of his trade. But then they also had the branch of the positive sense um, that if you see your neighbor's ox wandering away, here would be an example, and you don't do anything, you have basically stolen from him as well. And so you owe it to your neighbor to go get the ox who's wandered and let them know about it so that you won't be acute, so that you aren't, haven't participated in stealing in this sort of positive form. There's things you shall do for your neighbor so that they are not stolen from. What do you, what do you think of that, Ken? Oh, I, I don't like that. <laughs> I know you I don't, don't like being held responsible for something that I didn't do you know that I didn't cause this grief yeah you know so the guy so my neighbor's dog gets out yes my neighbor's fence wasn't adequate and somehow I'm going to be held responsible for that I do not like that <laughs> I I knew in class you didn't like that uh, I think yeah. mostly because you were really subtle and said I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was really subtle but I mean I picked up on the subtle yeah. cues yeah. well it is interesting uh you know the what they call them in the one of the books i've been studying for the class is they say like it's long before the parable of the good samaritan it's these sort of good samaritan laws which as someone in class pointed out we do have a form of but uh really it's to protect someone who's tried to be a good samaritan and something's gone wrong which they had that in ancient israel as well they have all of these lists of like what if you save the neighbor's ox from wandering away, but then while you have it in your keeping, it gets sick and dies? You know, how can you not be held responsible because you did the right thing? Um, so they have those too, but they absolutely have this understanding of um, basically you can't watch your neighbor flail and fail and do nothing. You're called to a higher response. If there's something you could do, to watch, to keep your neighbor from sinking economically, 
then you need to do it. It's you know, a very a, different system, I, right? I can see it as a personal moral. Yeah. But to have it as a commandment, a law, seems a bit much. Well, and I'm intrigued. I'm not sure how they would hold it. I don't know how they would uphold it in a law. Like you yeah. Because um, who, who says that I really saw the ox right. and looked away? Um, or is it more a moral Yeah. And then you that yeah. saw me look away, what did you do after that? Yeah. Did you go after the ox, <laughs> yeah. you hypocrite? Yeah, I'd like to be in that court case. He saw me look away. He also did nothing. Yeah, you could go down uh, like the oxen trail instead yeah. of the rabbit trail. You could go down the oxen trail. <laughs> but it was this interesting sense, and, and I do think it brings up certainly under the heading of code of conduct of what kind of neighbor do I want to be. Uh, I don't think any of us necessarily start out to want to be a nosy neighbor. Uh, we might end up there, but we don't want to be a nosy neighbor. But is there a sense in which this does help me broaden? Um, I mean, how my neighborhood goes is how I go and how big's the neighborhood. How Fort Smith goes <laughs> affects how I go. Uh, I have a vested interest in um, upholding the economy, since we're talking economy today, the economy of this place, uh, whether or not my economy, my economy might be doing great, but how my area's economy goes matters to me. And we know that's true uh, in some real practical ways, but isn't it also true in some moral ways? And that, that's, a, that's a thing to try to live out and keep in mind rather than just simply defaulting it's so easy to default to like not in my backyard not in my you know don't bother me with this um but yet we're called to the wandering ox (laughs) 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 you know maybe not legally you know in front of the judge but are we morally um called to it so yeah but we're not talking well i don't want to say we're not talking about morals we were talking about commandments yeah which has a, a bit of a stronger that's, yeah, thing that's about true. it. That's true. Yeah. We talked about this, uh, and I want to see what your thoughts were on this, because one of the main things, um, ways that they say in a positive sense, I don't, I guess it would be, well, I guess they live it out in the negative of you shall not do this, but of not stealing from your neighbor in a way that we might not think of as stealing, but they certainly did. And that's the idea of that old-fashioned word, uh, usury, Uh, U-S-U-R-Y, usury, which is talked about all the time in the Old Testament. Uh, And that's simply uh, charging interest on a loan, charging interest. And it was absolutely forbidden within the community. It was forbidden uh, to charge interest on a loan because what they assumed was if someone's had to take a loan from you, it means they're in trouble. And for you to add to their trouble um, by charging more uh, is stealing from them. Didn't you say that there was some kind of lower limit, though? You know, if you charge more than 1% or more than one tenth of a Well, by the year, yeah, that was in the Old Testament. We don't have a ton talked about usury in the New Testament, but by the year 325, um, which, yes, is past the New Testament, the last of the New Testament books were written about the year 100. But, you know, in geological time, it's real close. Um, they were, uh, they made it illegal for clergy to charge interest 
even interest as low as 1%. Uh, clergy themselves, uh, so pastors and priests, were not allowed um, to charge interest. And then a few years later, they expanded that to everyone in the Christian community. So lay people, congregation members, nobody was allowed to charge interest um, in the Christian community. And by a uh, thousand years later, so that is some time, by the 1300s, they had declared that charging interest was heretical. It was a heresy to charge interest. Boy, we never talk about it. No. No, it's a part of everyday life now. Yeah. We never talk about it in the modern church. Um, but they absolutely saw it as one of the core pieces of the Eighth Commandment, that you should not steal, uh, especially from someone who's vulnerable, and if they've had to get a loan, that means they're vulnerable, and you don't steal from them. Um, we wouldn't have houses or cars or that washing well, machine, some of us, if we hadn't paid <laughs> interest for it. not as soon as what we do have them. Yeah, yeah. No, that... Uh... So I guess even receiving interest is the same as you're charging interest. So you've got a, a bank account yeah. that gets a certain amount of interest. The bank's the one that's actually charging the interest on the person that's borrowing it, but you're receiving it. Yeah. So it's stealing I, by... Yeah, that's Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know what they would think about me earning interest on my... It's at somebody else's... Uh, it's at somebody's expense, yes. you would think, yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because uh, someone brought up in Sunday school, which is true, I had not thought it through, but this is actually where um, one of the roots of anti-Semitism comes, anti-Jewish sentiment, is because the Jewish people were not allowed to charge interest within their community. And then, as I've just said, by the year the years 300, 400, Christians are not allowed to charge interest to one another in their community. So a lot of communities throughout Europe, especially who had mixed communities of both Christian and Jewish, they would lean on the Jewish community to, to do the book, to do the money handling and to charge interest because the Jewish people were allowed to charge it to the outside community. Uh, the Christians couldn't charge it to each other either. So they leaned on the Jewish community to do it anyway. And then it became over hundreds of years, it was like, well, are they really being honest? Maybe they aren't honest dealers um, and the Jews have all the money. Uh, anyway, it started from this sense that you don't charge interest within your community. And so we went to outside communities uh, to get the interest. So both sides paid. were doing it, but the Jews took the heat for it. Because they were the minority versus the majority. The majority needed to use them uh, yeah. to do their money lending uh, and then but then they're this minority community lending all the money uh, that's not going to go well over time especially if you have any trouble uh, if you have a downturn in the economy if you have you know if money becomes everything's great if it's all flowing right well, yeah. but if it's if it gets tight uh, then you want somebody to play but it comes back to this usury thing not allowed to charge interest within the Christian community Christians could not charge interest to one another um, and so they looked to the Jewish community to handle that uh, investment uh, and the Jewish community couldn't charge interest within their community either interesting so the the Jews could charge the interest, but the Christians would still benefit from that because the Jews would turn that interest payment back over to them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So the receiving of interest was not against it. It's just the charging of it. Yes. And within the community. They couldn't, right. they couldn't do it to each other. They're still benefiting from the downfall of somebody else. Yes. Yeah, I don't like that either. <laughs> I know you don't, Ken. I know you don't. It's just a, a hypocrisy and unfairness about the way things get done. Yeah. Well, it's it would be great if if everybody started from a moral center and a moral compass that you have, Ken. Well, I, <laughs> it really would. It really would. But unfortunately, you know, things get whatever. Well, and just to sort of say, I gave the very practical example of what Arkansas's usury laws are. Um, some of us in this area live in Arkansas. Some live in Oklahoma. Um, Arkansas's are. Uh, no more than 5% of what the Federal Reserve is charging at the time. So um, can't go more than 5% more than that. And apparently for like a consumer good, which is what most of us would experience alone with, uh, it's not supposed to be more than 17%, which is pretty high, but not supposed to be more than 17%. That's Arkansas's usury laws. Oklahoma's were uh, no more than 6% interest except if you're a pawn shop a small loan or if you've got gotten someone to sign a valid document so, <laughs> so there's all kinds of um usury happening right across our border and 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 we actually feel it in fort smith um folks who get in a bind uh head across the river and and uh, get in real trouble and i think some of us a lot of us really would look at it as stealing you took from somebody who needed a $500 loan, and because they couldn't go to a reputable place, they now owe, by the time they're done, you know, they owe thousands. That's real money. It is. Uh, I'm still not, and maybe this is where my moral compass deviates. It, you know, if somebody volunteers to sign a document and says, it, yeah. you know, they know exactly what they're getting into. Yeah. Uh, if you're from Arkansas and f you don't meet the requirements of the Arkansas laws for borrowing money and you're down and out and you go over to Oklahoma to do it, I, I don't know. I, did, I guess at certain, a certain point you have a responsibility to yourself not to get in that predicament to begin with. You do. It was an adult signing the document. You know, it's not a minor uh, signing the document. And, um, and presumably you were told what the cost would be. I will say it's very interesting because in our church, we have specifically tried to take on this idea, especially because um, we feel like the ones who are really down and out, I mean, like living in homeless camps, you know, needing basic sustenance, there's a lot of support in our community, thankfully, for that kind of really down and out situation. The place where there's maybe not as much support is in this working class community that might find themselves caught in that kind of thing. So we actually have our Changing Lanes car program so that people won't go to a buy here, pay here place and get uh, a huge interest rate. We have our Uplift program uh, that's for a small, um, a small bill that you kind of weren't ready for. You know, the radiator goes out in the car or whatever, and it can help with a very, very low interest rate to pay the small bill, again, rather than going um, to some place that's going to charge an arm and a leg. We've tried to kind of get to that usury idea, actually. In some ways, we don't put it that way. 
because uh, whoever uses the term usury. Um, but we have kind of tried to get at that under the moral obligation of um, if you are already vulnerable, that is not the time to pounce. Um, so it's, it is an interesting thing. I think it's something, you know, Ken, you and I don't live with it uh, very often, but I think it's something a lot of people in our community um, are living with the consequences of of a, a poor decision financially uh, that has led to worse and worse outcomes. I, you know, it's, I can imagine it. Um, I'm grateful I'm not living it, but I do think uh, we probably have quite a few who are. Yeah, and the people that, yeah, the bad decisions, they may not be obvious bad decisions and something went wrong. Yeah. It's the people that make bad decisions to go to the casino. Yeah. That <laughs> Yes. You know, yeah. Th those are That's the a proactive bad decision. <laughs> you went out of your way to <laughs> Yeah, to get yourself in trouble. <laughs> to get yourself in trouble. You were seeking it out, one might argue. Yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. You know, it's I guess I'm hard hearted. I find it difficult to want to help people that intentionally go out of their way to do that. And yes, they've They've left a, a trail of ruin of their family, and their family probably doesn't deserve yeah. what they've done. But I, they, that's where it gets really complicated for me. It does get complicated. And one of the things that might help, one of the few things that would help uncomplicate some of those situations would be to nip them in the bud. Wouldn't that be nice to kind of catch something early when it's less of a problem? But uh, so often that's... That's not available to us. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, Jesus doesn't talk much about this commandment. Some of the others we have talked in the past about in the Sermon on the Mount, he really comes back to them and he makes them really, really difficult in our lives. He says, you know, you have heard it said that you shall not kill, but I tell you, even if you're angry, you know, you're already halfway there, basically. So he says that about certain commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't mention this one. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, the most he really talks about stealing is to say, is to really talk about possessions and wealth. And uh, most of us well know that uh, Jesus has a real, uh, a real strict understanding of possessions and wealth. He doesn't think they should get much sway in our lives at all. And whatever sway we're giving them, we should probably really work on giving them less. So he doesn't really talk about stealing. He kind of comes at it from the heart again about what is most important in your, you know, if if your stuff was stolen, what, what mattered the most to you? Couldn't this also be stolen? I, and he doesn't talk about seeing through any laws on it, though. But just more talks about how, hey, how about you worry about your stuff less? <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that we didn't talk about in Sunday school, or it passed over me, was stealing of time. Oh. You know, and all of it's been about possessions. But, yeah. You know, I guess there's a conversion where time turns into possessions, but, you know, if you were hired to do something and you go off and sleep under a tree, you've stolen time. Oh, that's true. You know, I'm not sure about any rules about that, but I will say the flip side, I did find in the research, this was interesting, um, because day laborers at the time, of which there were many, uh, 
by the na their name signifies they were paid at the end of each day. They were supposed to be paid at the end of each day. Right. So you didn't wait till payday. You hit, if I've worked for you today, I get paid before I go home. And there were a lot about saying, if you wait till the next morning to pay those laborers, you've stolen from them. Uh, that's sort of a time thing on its flip. Like they gave yeah. you the time and if you waste their time, you know, and take too much time, then that's a form of stealing as well to not have paid the night before. Uh, which to uh, you know, I think we're like, wait, all you're gonna do is sleep or whatever. But that was the agreement. I don't know. Uh, it would be interesting to see if there was anything about, you know, you wasted time, mm -hmm. or you said you were gonna work and you didn't work, and uh, what do you owe now right. if you stole the time? Yeah. Wouldn't it be interesting, Ken, if you could uh, say to people, like, you're having a conversation with someone for a long time, I hope not right this moment, and you're thinking, wow, you are wasting my time. Like, what What if you could say, you know, this? I think this is stealing. Yeah, this, I'm not going to get those 30 minutes back. <laughs> I'm never going to get those 30 minutes back. That's how I felt when I saw Sex in the City 2, okay, that movie, which I'm horrified to even tell you I saw, but... I did walk out of the theater thinking, I'll never get that time back. <laughs> I've aged in the priority. Anyway, well, we, we ended class on Sunday with the idea that there's two basic truths, um, faith statements and truths, that they really base this Eighth Commandment on. And the first is from Psalm 24, everything that you have is the Lord's who made heaven and earth. You know, So all we have is his in terms of that role of possessions in our lives. Um, and then the second truth, uh, which they say all the time in the Old Testament, is remember that you were once slaves. So the idea of not pouncing on someone when they're vulnerable, I think all comes from that statement. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that you could have been pounced on um, by anybody who wanted to. And always hold that in how you're going to treat people. Um, remember where you came from and so now pay it forward kind of uh to yeah. not uh jump on the vulnerable well i can't go from the remembering i can go from a fear of i don't want to be there yeah yeah although in some very sort of deep uh family tree sense i think even as western christians we you know thousands of years later we're supposed to have this sense of like Remember, remember the people uh, came from, remember your people came from slavery. Like, the, okay, I'm getting in tricky waters here. We're not supposed to remember it in the family lineage sense, like your DNA, but we are supposed to remember it in a faith sense. Remember your people uh, have had to fight. Remember the faith of your fathers, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that comes all the way from exodus genesis exodus on now that's a little tricky we're both sitting here white people looking very Aryan, ken yeah uh, <laughs> so it's not necessarily something we shout to the rooftops oh look you know i came from slavery that's not what we mean what we mean though is i'm supposed to come from this sense of i know uh my people have known a sense where all they could do was lean on god what they had was they could lean and put their trust in God. Um, and when we were vulnerable, uh, God showed us how to live. And now if we aren't vulnerable, 
how do we live for those who are vulnerable? We're supposed to have a heart like that. I can go with that. Otherwise, I get into the semantics about the word remember. I know, yes, remember, yeah. To me, you remember something that actually happened. If you read something, you can remember reading about it. But these things happened a long time ago, and I don't really have a memory of it. No. I can read about it. No. But it's supposed to shape and fashion who you are. Yes. Yep. It's supposed to shape and fashion who you are. And we are called to be people who remember um, what it would have been like to have nothing. And because of that, we're supposed to treat those who have nothing in a certain way. Um, And we're supposed, I mean, we worship a Savior who had nothing. Um, And... You know, yet when he had nothing uh, on the cross, said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Out of his nothing, um, he lived a certain way. He taught a certain way. Um, He treated people a certain way. Uh, So we don't remember it, but somehow we're supposed to reconnect with it. I agree with that. Yeah. All right, next week it is no lying. (laughs) I know you're ready. Okay. So you're ready. White lie is still a lie. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know. We'll talk about it next week. Okay. <laughs> See you then, Ken. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Ten Commandments on the One Pres Pod. You can find all sorts of Presbyterian-related content here at this podcast. Be sure to like and review it if you are enjoying it. And check out onepres.org for more information about First Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.